This exhortation was brought to you by the Light Bearers, bringing light until there's no more darkness. All right, either you have one or maybe you may hope to start one in future or worst case scenario, you were born into one, at least I hope, you know, except maybe you were raised in an orphanage, which is still okay. But at the very least, you've, you've seen a family, you know what a family is. So we're talking about um, the family today. Now, if you're a perceptive Christian, you would have noticed that the God-ordained family institution is under attack today. All right. Um, it's under attack. It takes it takes um, discernments. You know, um, we hear about a lot of things. Infidelity is expected somehow. Divorce is rife. Broken homes are usual. We have products of those kinds of things um, around. So the, the family institution is no longer so honored. Um, it's no longer honored. It's just... Um, one of those things that people just you know have and don't take it so seriously so it takes discernment but this is not surprising you know the bible says in second corinthians chapter four and four it says in whom the god of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of christ who is the image of god should shine unto them you know so that is the um the state of the world the god of this world has blinded their hearts and they are bringing up so many alternatives so many ideas they're normalizing things that shouldn't be all right um something similar was said in revelations 12 12 you know concerning how the devil is hard at work you know the bible says the devil uh, walks to and fro looking for whom he may devour not just individually but collectively he's looking for families to devour because he knows that the family is the bedrock of society everything springs forth from the family you know the bible says in revelations 12 and 12 it says therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time so this was the the warning the devil knows that he has a short time you know so the family institution is under attack all right, so it just, it just takes discernment. All right, so you see, recently I was, I was on, I saw a post on social media the other day, and I was shocked. You know, there was this lady there, and she was talking about, you know, just talking about this and that, talking about how that she um, bought some things with a credit card, then the husband was. Um, complaining, and the husband, you know, and they had this little um, argument. And she was just bringing all those things to social media. She was saying, you know, she just wrote this long episode. And then people, random people, you know, were saying, oh, the husband is just insensitive. He's silly. He's a jerk. He's this and that. You know, and I was surprised because that is a very, a woman that is just not discerning at all. All right. You know, um, because what she doesn't know is that she's exposing her family to ridicule you know she's exposing her husband to ridicule especially on such a trivial um frivolous matter as that you're exposing so yeah people are saying yes your husband is yo you should do better you should, and you're agreeing you know because if you have an ounce of spiritual knowledge you know that the moment you got married you know you became one and you 
working against your husband publicly like that is you actually fighting yourself in, in a manner of speaking you know but those are the kinds of things we see nowadays you know for example that lady you know why not just discuss with your husband you know person you have the issue with and just trash it out or if you think um it's not that is not working or just meet a, a trusted counselor you know and just discuss it you know not through the family institution the sacred family institution you know to the vultures to just random people um, um around to just you know spew their own opinions all right but before we get ahead of ourselves i just said that you know um um i just said that but before we get ahead of it, let's look at what the bible says about the institution of the family okay um the concept of the family was introduced in genesis in the, in the book of beginnings even as early as chapter one we could see hints of that because in verse 28 god said he says god blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number that was the first man and fill the earth and subdue it rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the ground all right so that was the initial instruction praise god and in order to fulfill this mandate the first man adam needed help so if you look at the next chapter verse chapter 2 and verse 18 the bible says and the lord god said it is not good that a man shall be alone i will make him and help me for him all right so he gave him an assignment and in the next chapter he said oh it's not good for you to be alone to do this thing I would make you and help me to, to do this thing. And um, in verse 24, it says, Father corroborates that. It says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Why? They are together in this mandate to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Praise the Lord. So God created Adam and gave him a help so as to help fulfill this mandate to dominate the earth you know so now let's continue and let's see something that happened in genesis 4. this is shortly after adam and eve fell um genesis 4 from verse 1 and the bible says and adam knew eve and she conceived and there came and said i have gotten a man from the lord and she again bare his brother abel and abel was a keeper of sheep but Cain was a tiller of the ground now this is the kjv you may not um, be so clear what she was saying for example it says and adam knew his wife and she conceived and bare Cain, and said i have gotten a man from the lord so this man that she, she was got she had gotten from the lord is actually the son it was just you know the old english way of speaking so if you read it from the amplified it says now the man adam knew eve as his wife and she conceived and gave birth to cain and she said i have obtained a man baby boy son in brackets in parenthesis with the help of the lord all right so she she said she obtained this child with the help of the lord you know and later she gave birth to his brother abel now abel kept the flocks of sheep and goats but cain cultivated the ground you know so eve, eve obtained his son with the help of the lord that's exactly where i'm going she obtained the son with the help of the lord remember that at this point they had already fallen all right and god had driven them out of the garden of eden but god still helped her conceive you know that's why i said and she had came with the help of the lord why did god still help her conceive 
It's because it was in the original configuration of family. It was already set up, it was already in motion. It was already expected that a family would be set up, Adam Eve and children, all right? You know, so God's plan for creation was that man and women would marry, have children, and with that form a family, and that would form the essential building blocks of, of human society, praise God. So that was God's initial plan. Of course, we know that when Adam fell, things became corrupted and all of that, but that was the initial plan, you know. And the family members were designed to care for and to love each other. How do I know? If you look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 9, um, um, this was shortly after it was recorded that Eve gave birth to Cain. And the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Praise God. This is where we instructed you. Now, I was speaking from guilt here because I had already killed Cain, if you know the story, um, Abel, if you know the story. No, but God was asking, where is Abel your brother? Why did God ask this question? You know, apart from the fact that this is a rhetorical question, because God knows the answer. Just like uh, when Jesus, God was walking in the cool of the garden and I was like, uh, where have you been? God doesn't ask questions because he doesn't know. Loaded in those questions is something he's trying to, to eliminate. So he asks, where is your brother Abel? What God? What is God trying to say here? God is trying to say that I'm asking you because I expect you to know. Praise God. I expect you as kin, as the brother, to know. Why? Because brothers care about the well-beings of one another. Praise the Lord. Brothers care about the well-being of one another. So me asking you where is your brother should not be strange. You know, so his response was off. Am I my brother's keeper? That was the first indication that hmm, things are already becoming um, tainted by the fall. In fact, this was the first case of fratricide, you know, of, of murder even. Amen. So Cain's response was stubborn. Am I my brother's keeper? You know, let's just read on. Yeah, Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother cried unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother, brother's blood from thy hand. And when thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shall thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than that than I can bear. And it was a very great punishment. Why? Because God, this was a very grievous offense. You killed your brother. You killed family. You don't kill family. Praise the Lord. So we can see that God punished Cain greatly because his sin was grievous. He killed his family. All right. So God's idea of family is that they will be close to each other, is that they would love and care for one another, is that they will share victories together, they will share defeats together, they will move forward together. That was God's original plan. In fact, this idea was very strong, you know, in ancient Israel. Um, um, that if, for example, you look at Leviticus 25, Leviticus 25, verse 10, it says, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return to his possession. And each of you 
shall return to his own family. Praise the Lord. Look at that. He's saying, giving instructions to the um, Israelites. He says, you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty. You know, it shall be a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return to his possession. And each of you shall return to his family. After 50 years, praise the Lord. So even after separations of 50 years, God is still God still wanted family members to come back together, to rekindle, to solidify family ties, you know, and to celebrate the year of Jubilee. Jubilee is just like the year of liberty, the year of freedom from slavery. Praise God. So after 50 years, God still, I he still reckoned with those families. Praise the Lord. It's God honors families. Praise the Lord. You know, in fact, the Bible, in a large part, you can call it a history of families. You know, many in many verses, many chapters, it begins with like really not lineages. And this person gave her to this person, gave her to this person, gave her to this person. Because lineages, family ties are very important in the Bible. Praise God, praise the Lord. It's not just about what you do. Who, where did you come from? Whose son are you? Those are very important um, ideals um, in Bible times. All right. So when we talk about Moses, for example, don't only, we don't just talk about him as a leader, or you talk about him as a brother in relation to his brothers. You know, talk about him as a father, talk about him as a husband, things like that. You know, similar to David, he was a leader, but you know, was also a father, was a brother, was a son. You know, so the family system is very important. You know, such that whenever God wanted to bless an individual, even though the individual was blessed, the blessing usually extended to the family as well, the family he came from. All right. For example, when God called Noah and his family, uh, called Noah, he just didn't call Noah. Noah and his family were saved. All right. Noah and his family were taken into the ark. He asked them to give them authority to go into the ark. Even some of the extended families included as part of the whole. So God didn't just do things for the most part to individuals. Families were involved. Praise the Lord. Similarly, whenever someone disobeyed, many times the repercussions extended to other members of the family. All right. Also, when God made covenants, made it with families, you know, when God called Abraham, he called him and his family, not him alone. Praise the Lord. You know, let's open to Genesis 17 and verse 12. So, God called Abraham and um, uh, he called for a sign you know, to be applied to all the males within the households as a sign. Let me just read from verse 12. It says, And he that is 80 days old shall be circumcised amongst you, every man-child in your generations. He that is born in the house or brought, in, brought with the money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. He that is brought in thy house and he that is brought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And, thy, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. So he didn't just make a covenant with Abraham. All of the people around him, the male children, needed to be circumcised. Praise the Lord. So I'm just saying, in essence, that the focus was not on individuals. It was based on identification with families as a whole. Praise the Lord. It's a very critical concept. All right? You know, for example, if you remember the story of the Passover, the Passover was um, um, the final miracle after that um, 
Moses did, you know, to be released. If that in that story, each household in Egypt needed to put some blood over their doors, their doors, all right. And if a house had that over their doors, every one in the house was preserved. Praise the Lord. So judgment was passed just on a ballpark kind of way. Like if your door is this thing, I'm not looking at the people inside. I don't care what they did, but your door, um, uh, if your door is painted with this blood, your whole household would be saved. Praise the Lord. Because this was a very key thing, you know, in those times. You know, similar to the story of Rahab, you know, she was a prostitute. If you know the story, I won't go too deep into it, but she put her, her trust in, in God. And then she hid the spies. And she didn't just save herself. She saved herself and her entire household. All right? And by contrast, if you look at some other people like Achan, you know, he stole spoils for himself from Jericho. But, and he didn't confess the sin and all of that. When he was going to be punished, it wasn't just him that was punished. He, him and his whole family was judged. All right? So with, in the case of Rahab, grace came to all of Rahab's family. But in the case of Achan, Judgment came on all of his family, even though it was one person that did it. So God dealt with people based on family identity. All right. You know, when I was a little kid, like age seven, I knew how to make sketches. I still know how to do it, but I've just not had practice in a long time. I knew how to draw. I knew how to draw very well. So we had a <laughs> we had a, a a class assignment then, and the teacher said, I think it was all the different classes. Uh, was, were to enter a competition, a, an art competition. Um, you know, so she, she called, she asked for the, I think she asked people to vote for the five best artists in my class. You know, so I was one of them, obviously. And then she said, all five of us should draw something. If I remember correctly, it was a bell, maybe a Christmas bell or something. She said, all five of us should, should rub heads together and draw a bell. Now, I don't understand how she was, that teacher was thinking because that just doesn't make sense. Sorry to say. Because five people cannot draw something together. You get. You, five people can't draw something. It's not about combining all of these skills. It's not football that you bring, you know, the best players and try to, you know, five people cannot draw. So, obviously, there was a lot of chaos. All right. Such that some people who are like the loudest out of us five they were like trying to like beat the leaders, you know, so it was causing a lot of trouble. So what we now agreed is that one person would draw a part of this bell, another person would draw another part of this bell, another just to make sure everybody is satisfied. As you can imagine, the bell that we ended up drawing was a very terrible bell. Okay, because you people cannot draw, that's not how things are done. If I drew that bell myself, just leave me to draw this bell from beginning to end, I'd have drawn a much better bell. But what we ended up drawing was so terrible. I think she submitted it at the end, but I was just disappointed. Like, this is rubbish. Okay. But in a way, that is how the family system was. Because as far as they were concerned, the best five people, this is what they brought. This is this represents their handiwork. All right. We partook of the um, ridicule of, the, of drawing that bell. You know, that's the same way many times families were. One person messes up the whole family suffers from it. One person does well, the whole family suffers from, from it. All right? So the Bible has a very communal sense of, of family. You know, even till today in the Middle East, family is important, especially children. 
they don't play with it. You know, people know their lineages, they're strong, they, they hold some of this cultural family um, celebrations very key. All right, so very important. If you look at the Ten Commandments, at least two of them dealt with maintaining the cohesiveness of the family. You know, the fifth one was honor your parents, you know, just to, to, to preserve the authority. You know, then that was um, no adultery and things like that in the commandments just to preserve um, the family system. Was it just in the Old Testament? No, because I've been speaking a lot about the Old Testament. How about the New Testament? Same thing, you find the same thing. You know, for example, Jesus spoke a lot about marriage, spoke against divorce. Apostle Paul, you know, spoke about families a lot, even though he wasn't married. You know, it says, children, obey your parents. You know, it says, parents, don't provoke your children. Why was he saying that? Because he knows that family is important. You know, when he was talking about um, how to become a bishop, he says, gave instruction, no, husband of one wife. You know, because those are things that are core, that are very valued. All right. He spoke about um, if you are married to someone who is an unbeliever, it says the unbelieving spouse is sanctified by the believing spouse. He spoke about keeping the marriage bed on the file. He spoke a lot about marriages. Amen. He spoke a lot because um, about marriages and families in general because it is very important. You know, in the book of Acts, um, just like in the Old Testament, many times the whole family was involved. You know, in Acts chapter 11, verse 14, you know, um, Peter had a dream about Cornelius. I'm sure we remember the story. And when Peter brought the message of salvation to Cornelius, both Cornelius and all of his family were saved. Praise God. Why have I gone on to all of this? I've just gone to this great lens to show that the family was, was and is important to God. Now, let's open to a very interesting verse of scripture. And I'd like us to pay attention. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46. So Matthew chapter 12 and verse 46, this was Jesus, about Jesus. It says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside, wanting to speak to him. You know, someone told him, your mother and brothers are outside, are standing outside, wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Point, pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Wow. You know, if you just look at this alone, it looks like it has undone everything I've said. You know, people came to meet Jesus. They said, your mother and your brother are standing outside. They want to speak to you. This was his physical family. And he said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his own, his disciples says, here are my mother and brothers. For whosoever does the will of the Father is my brother, sister, and mother. Why did Jesus talk like this? I thought Jesus, God valued family so much. Why? Why did he speak this way? Question, is Jesus saying that the biological family is no longer important? No. Is he dismissing and disrespecting his mother, his biological mothers and brothers? No. Otherwise, everything we've said is, is just, you know, falls apart. Jesus here is making a very big point. He's saying in the kingdom of heaven, the most important family connection is spiritual, not physical. Praise God. And that's why he says, whosoever does the will of my father in heaven is my true brother and sister. 
So in essence, he's saying as important as our biological families are, our spiritual family is infinitely more important. Praise the Lord. This is a very big major point. As important as that biological family is, you know, the spiritual one is more important. That's why I said something in John chapter 1. This was John's writing. He says, but as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, not of, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What's this saying? He's saying, those who is in, is in there, he's saying, he's saying, those who will become the sons of God, it won't be by blood, or by the will of flesh, or by the will of man, it will be by God. Praise the Lord. So if you will become the son of God, it won't be because someone gave birth to you. That will be a different kind of birth. You know, let's read this in another translation. It says, yet to all who received him, you know, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Hallelujah. Not born of human decision or human will, but born of God. Praise the Lord. You know, one day a powerful Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus sneaked in, to meet Jesus. I like this story a lot. You know, let's just read the encounter. Um, John chapter 3, verse 2. Um, let me see. Okay, let's read from verse 1. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Praise the Lord. So this was the encounter with Demos, um, with Nicodemus. He says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit the spirit what is it saying here he's saying flesh can only give birth to flesh you can't be born again by a, a natural human birth to be born again you must be born spiritually into god's family praise the lord you must be born of the spirit it says that which is flesh is flesh and that which is spirit is spirit so you must be born in a different kind of way born anew praise the lord so we were born spiritually into god's god's kingdom you know, Paul said it a different way. He says, we've been adopted into God's family. That's in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. You know, just paraphrasing. So that we can now cry, Abba, Father. By that um, immersion into God's family, all of a sudden, God becomes our Father. Praise the Lord. So irrespective of our earthly families and earthly station in life, we can be members of a more glorious family, the household of God. This is a family that is much greater than any earthly one. 
we have a new family, praise the Lord. We have a new family, you know, and not just us. It's just not a small family of um, 10, 15, 20 people, or maybe 50 people if you have a good family tree. We have a family with billions of souls all around the world. Praise the Lord. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, it says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Praise the Lord. Billions of us, brothers and sisters, from across the world. We have billions of us. This is our new family. You know, our family is the largest family on earth. Oh, our biological family is good. Oh, physical family is good. It's nice to gather around to have events and things like that. But this is even more so. This is more glorious. You know, you see, this is what God always wanted. This God, because God is the originator of the family. Remember that God always loved families. Even he himself, he longed for that communion and interrelationship that a family brings. You know, in Genesis 1, you know, if you read it, we don't know. All, all we know is that Genesis started in Genesis. But he had been God all by himself prior to that time. We don't know for how long, but he had been God. He could have chosen to remain as he was. But he said, let us make man. Why? He wanted com company. He loved that community, you know, of people who exchange love without coercion. You know, he didn't want robots. He wanted just that family feel. You know, in families, everyone is equal. Everyone is equal. There's no, we are, we are equal. We're all, we're all born by just the same blood. He wanted that. He wanted a relationship. That's why in the cool of the evening, you would walk, you know, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. You know, wanted to chat with them. That's what God wanted. You know, we know the story, of course, Adam and Eve, you know how Adam fell. And that's put a wedge in the works. You know, but God did not end his mission. You know, even though Adam messed things up, he still went to great lengths to recreate that family system. You know, hear what he said to Abraham. He says, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. This is what God wanted. You know, the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33 he says i will be their god and they will be my people praise the lord let's just go ahead and just um thank him for this for a few minutes you know thank him for the opportunity to be in his family yeah so um i mean we'll still go back to praying shortly um but we said how that god is the grand orchestrator of the family right even after adam fell and that relationship was lost he still always had it in his mind that he wanted that he was still his grand plan you know that's why he said you know if you look at the prophecy he spoke through jeremiah and jeremiah chapter 31 verse 33 he says i will be their god and they shall be my people he still wanted that you know revelation chapter 21 verse 3 you know this was john in his visions he said Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them. Praise the Lord. This is what God wanted. This was his master plan. 
This is why he sent Jesus to die for our sins, to reconnect us. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, 29, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he may be the firstborn. Notice that word, so that Jesus may be the firstborn amongst many brethren. Hallelujah. Now God has a big family. He says, from whom he did foreknow. So God knew from ahead of time. He planned this from the beginning. From whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of the Son, that he may be the firstborn amongst many brethren. You know, if you remember John chapter 1, verse 2, 14, you know, Jesus was called the only begotten of the Father. John chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus was the only begotten of the Father. But here he has become the firstborn amongst many brethren, including me and you. He has become the firstborn. So Jesus is now our elder brother. All right? This is this is big. Praise the Lord. This is this is massive. You know, so we are the family of God. We are a family. You know, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. You know, it says, For both he who sanctifies and those who have been sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. We are brethren. Ephesians chapter 2 and 19, he says, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are members of the household of God. We are members of the household of God. Praise the Lord. Now, seeing that we are members of the household of God, we, have, we must be responsible. We must act accordingly. We must act like family men. How do family men act? One thing they do is that they care for each other. We don't talk like Cain. You know, it was Cain that was saying, am I my brother's keeper? No, indeed you are your brother's keeper. Because that's what we do in this family. So family loves and cares for each other. And the Bible says in John chapter 13, and verse 35, it says, by this shall men know that you are my disciples, by the love you have one for another. So that's one way you know that, oh, this guy is of the family of God. We demonstrate love for one another, especially those who are saved. You know, Galatians 6, 6 and, 6 and 10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So we do good unto all men, true, but we do more good on people in our family. We do more good on the people of the household of faith. Praise the Lord. This is the first and vital teaching. There are so many teachings. I'll just talk on a few before we begin to pray. So we act like family men. We love and care for each other. It's, you know, you know Bible says, I think, is that James of First Peter or something? It says we love um, um, in truth. We love without guile. I forget exactly how it says. We love in truth, in verity, because that's what we do in our family. What else do we do? In our family, we value communication. So we fellowship amongst ourselves. And the Bible says, um, in Hebrews chapter 12, 10, verse 25, you know, this was the writer of Hebrews warning the hearers. It says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we don't forsake the gathering. You know, so gatherings like this, you know, like your ch local church assembly or otherwise, we don't forsake it because in our family, we speak to each other, we value communication, we ask how people are doing. We support each other. He says, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Praise the Lord. We value communication. 
We also fellowship with our father. We communicate with our father. You know, we can chat with him again without any encumbrance. You know, just like he did with Adam in the cool of the evening. We can commune with God in prayer. You know, so that's why prayer, to me, prayer doesn't have to be this religious thing. You don't have to wear a cloak. No, you're just talking to your father, telling him about what's going on. You are bearing your soul to him. You know, rubbing minds with the creator of the universe. That's why you you never you don't remain the same after a prayer session because you you just rub mind with the greatest mind of all time the so the seat of wisdom eternal wisdom you just rub mind with him so we can rub minds with god anytime and be sure that he hears us what a privilege this is big if god himself wants to us to communicate he wants us to fellowship with him his ears are open to our request Praise the Lord. So these are just a few things we, we find in our family. What else do we have? We can talk, walk boldly. Why? Because of our family name. We have a different name now. All right? We have a different name. There are some names, even natural human names, and when you hear it, you just, you just pay me a bit more attention because the name sounds like big. It sounds like, ah, are you, they maybe you ask, are you the son or are you related to this person or that person? We have the name of Christ. Christ is our son name. Praise the Lord. So we can walk and talk boldly because of who we are, because of our family name. We know that we are more than conquerors. If you remember how I started, you know, when we were discussing earlier, when we said that the victory of one is the victory of all, it's the same way. Christ won the victory and we all partook of it. Praise the Lord. So we don't have to die a second death. Christ has already borne the victory for us. The blood is already on the lintel. And the judgment has passed over us. Why? Because we are safely inside, safely inside the house. Praise the Lord. You know, so when Christ, our first one, defeated hell and death, we became partakers just by association. Praise the Lord. He has given us a new name. You know, this is why Paul says in Galatians, he says um, <clears throat> that don't forsake the liberty. Um, how does he say? Let me open it so I don't like um, say this wrongly. Galatians 5, should be verse 1. It says, stand therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What he's saying here is, in as much as you have your own name, your own personal name, you're exposed. Why not stand in the cover? Stand in liberty wherein Christ has made you free. Praise the Lord. So he has given us a new name. You know, when the devil shows up with his empty threats, you know, he looks for people who are not, who are not confident in their name. Oh, does this guy know who he is? That kind of thing. You know, it tests them in different ways. Just tell him your son. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Don't be bullied. You're an orphan. You know, at this point, I'll just, you know, have us, um, um, you know, just worship him. You know, thank him. You know, thank him for the privilege to be in this family. Thank him for the privilege to be adopted. Praise him and bless him. And um, go ahead and pray. But praise God, I belong. I've been washed in the fountains, cleansed by His blood. Join us with Jesus. 